Good morning. This is Get Your Love on Radio. My name's Julie Bueller. Thank you so much for being here. We're broadcasting live on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM and broadcasting live around the world on RadioRemnant.org. Thank you so much for being here. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe, and it is good to have you on board because we have an awesome show planned for you. I want to just offer a big shout out, though, to our station ownership and this radio station here in the Coachella Valley. We're in Southern California. And again, this show goes across the globe, and it's wonderful to come to this studio and feel at total peace and enjoy broadcasting the Word of God. And that's only possible because of station ownership. So I just wanted to thank Remnant Radio 100.1 FM for allowing this and, of course, letting it go across the globe because this is exciting stuff. We want to get the Word out because the human soul needs the Word of God to survive for sure. Knowing the difference between truth and lies is the very key for us to be able to stand for the truth And then march forward in the victory that Christ attained for all of us that choose him. Now, for generations, Satan has been on a campaign to deceive the masses, really since the dawn of time. He's been feeding lie after lie after lie. That's his game. So we're going to expose it. We're going to throttle him today, actually. Yeah, a full throttling And expose these tactics and get people wise to how he operates. This is Christ speaking to the religious leaders of the day back in John chapter 8, verse 44. That's a clue, too, to how uh, Satan operates a lot of the times. So here's Christ speaking to the religious leaders of the day. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. All lies start in Satan's mouth, in his lips. He's a liar and he's the father of all lies. So as we learn the truth of God's word, we can stand on the truth of God's word and dispel the lies of Satan and walk in the fullness of God's truth and the fullness of God's eternal victory. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, As Christ says, you were a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Let's go back to the beginning. This is Genesis 2, verse 17. It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. This is God Almighty speaking to Adam. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Very simple and straightforward commandment of God. Okay, fast forward to Genesis 3, verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. He added only one word, changed the course of human history with a lie. Isn't that interesting? So today we are covering and exposing and throttling that loser, Satan, the eternal loser. He's a pathetic loser. He is. And he's a big fat liar. And we're going to expose the top three tactics that Satan uses to deceive people. And then a little bit later on, we have two incredible featured ministers that will further outline in the word 
how to retain this knowledge of God, how to retain it. It's so important. If we don't want to be deceived by these this flood of lies that are out there, we need to retain the word of God in our souls. So we'll have our dear friend, Trish, explain that and offer the word in that regard. And then we have an incredible message, the difference between good and evil from our friend Corey. So stay tuned. We have an awesome featured ministers that are very passionate about giving the truth of God's word in simplicity. And it's in and it's in 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 its totality as well. So the top three tactics of Satan that he uses to deceive people. Number one, slight alterations from God's word. So exhibit A is Adam and Eve. Now we'll hear a little, we'll hear a lot more of this actually in Corey's message about the difference between good and evil. But Satan infused one extra word, the word not, and changed everything. It was a very slight alteration, but it made a huge difference. Okay, that was at the beginning. Today, we have a very current example as well. Exhibit B, different translations of God's word. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, most people, especially those who have been raised in churches, think this is the love chapter of the Bible. That's sort of accurate, but the problem is it's only sort of accurate. So let's read it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul, Apostle Paul speaking, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. This is the King James Version of the Bible, the only version of the Bible that is considered the authorized version. Okay? So it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. So again, that is the King James Version of the Bible. It's not love, it's charity. Why is that so important? The King James Version of the Bible uses the word charity. In fact, it's mentioned 28 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And it's all the same definition in Greek. It's the word agape. You've probably heard that before, right? Now, the root of the word agape is love, affection, and benevolence. Beautiful. The word agape, though, actually means love feast. It's more than just love. It's a feast of love. And I was always taught charity is love in action. You've probably heard that too, right? Charity is love in action. As we're charitable, as we're doing the service of God, that's our love in action. So that's charity. But other translations, and I reviewed the top 15, the NIV, the Passion Translation, American Standard, Darby, and many more. They all replace the word charity with the word love. Even the new King James Version, even the new King James Version, which supposedly just replaces the these and the thous to make uh, the language a little bit more modern, 
even the new King James Version, replace the word charity with the word love. So what's the big deal, you might be wondering? We do need love. God is love. That's wonderful. The big deal is that all those other translations took the action out of the word charity, took the feast out of the word charity, and just put love in there. You see the problem with that? All these new translations took the King James Version and deactivated the very essence of the Christian walk, charity. So yeah, there's a good reason to stick to the original, the authorized version. And that's the reason we do here on Get Your Love On. Did you know that? What else are we missing out on if we don't, if we don't have the King James Version of the Bible? That's one little example. But it, it, if you extrapolate that across the entire word of God, what other feasts of knowledge or wisdom or God's love are people missing out on because of the convenience factor or because of the modernization of language factor? It's BS. It's Satan's number one tactic. Slight alterations of the word of God. Changes everything. Changes everything. In this instance, it takes the action out of the Christian walk. So people are walking around and in their heart, they're loving their neighbor. That's wonderful. Paul says, if you're not putting action behind it, you're a tinkling symbol. Nothing. That's the difference, my beloved friends. So that's why Satan wants to hide this. He wants all these translations to seem like, oh, they're all good. They'll give it to you in part, but not the whole. Well, I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me. And I hope you don't either. I hope you want it all too, because God wants us to have it all. He says it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So let's feast on it. Let's enjoy that feast of love that is charity. Let's enjoy the feast of wisdom and knowledge and graciousness that God intends for us through his authorized version, through his word. Isn't that wonderful to know now? Isn't that wonderful to know? And I'm so grateful that the Lord has given us this knowledge. And again, that's one example. I'd encourage you to get a King James Version of the Bible and start reading through it. And you'll see for yourself. But let's take action. Let's make sure we don't miss out on anything that God has for us. So if we're not reading the King James Version, what are we getting? What other alterations have been made without our knowledge or that are seemingly insignificant? So what if it's a synonym? It's a big deal. It's a big difference. Big difference. Second Corinthians 13 verse 8. This is Paul speaking, Apostle Paul. And this is the stance here that our entire team here at Get Your Love On makes. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. That's right. We will speak the truth, God's truth, from the word all the time. Nothing wavering, no alterations, just the simple word of God. Because it's perfect and complete and whole. And I love the Lord for that. Yeah, we can do nothing against the truth. God's word stands forever. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another reason to stick with the King James Version. 
But I think I've made my point there, so let's move on. Okay, so number one tactic is slight alterations of God's word. Number two, Satan actually tries to change the definition of words with our modern language. So there's a few notable examples, but I'll use one um, from the word of God because it's very illustrative of how destructive this tactic is. Slight alterations of God's word? Well, let's also change the English language. So uh, here's a study I did on the word meek, and this is actually available on the podcast. The show is called The Strength in True Meekness. You can listen to the whole study. I don't have time to get into it today, but I will give you the Cliff Notes version because meekness is an incredible gift of the Spirit. And Moses and Christ were both called meek in the Word of God. This is an incredible compliment. And meekness is something we all want in our life. If we're to be, as we get closer to God, we become more and more meek. We become more and more Christ-like. So meekness is a great compliment. In Numbers 12, 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And in Matthew 11, verse 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you. This is Christ speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So it's wonderful to be meek. And in, in the Greek, when Christ is speaking, that word means mild, gentle, and humble. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, you just feel, yes, I want to be meek, Lord. Show me how to become more meek. Okay, that's, that's great. So what's interesting, though, is the slow uh, transition from the word meek that used to mean soft and gentle, as it does in the Greek, as Christ meant it. And then it changed through Middle English to mean courteous or indulgent. Huh. Well, that's an odd way of looking at it because we don't indulge the flesh. Never. And then if you just Google meek, um, if you look it up in Webster's, it means the first definition is enduring injury with patience and without resentment, mild. That's a correct definition. Thank you, Webster, for getting the first one right. But interestingly enough, the example that Webster uses here, again, this is just Webster.com. The example is, quote, a meek child dominated by his brothers. Whoa, that kind of gives you the wrong impression of the word meek. Um, And then the second definition is deficient in spirit and courage, submissive. Excuse me? No. Uh, Christ is not deficient in spirit or courage and uh, does not submit to the ways of this world. Nope. And then the third definition, and again, this is how Satan, this is a, a tactic of Satan. He changes the definition of the words. So when Christ was speaking, he's saying, I am meek and lowly of heart. He means gentle and mild and humble. Now the word meek, according to Webster's, means deficient in spirit and courage, or not violent, or not strong. (laughs) Wow! That's the exact opposite of the Word of God. 
Now, interestingly enough, in 1913, you can access the meaning of words from 1913, too, if you go to Webster's1913.com. It's a much, if you want to understand the true English language, this is a much better reference for you. It means mild of temper, correct, not easily provoked or irritated, patient under injuries, not vain or haughty or resentful, evincing mildness of temper or patience, characterized by mildness or patience. So back in 1913, they actually got it right. But today, not so much. Now, if you look at the synonyms, and again, a synonym is a word that it has this supposedly is interchangeable with the word meek. (laughs) This is going to boil some blood because, again, Christ says, I am meek and lowly in heart. So if you don't have access to a concordance and you can't look up the original translation of the word in the Greek and you just Google it, you're going to be really led astray here because it supposedly the synonyms are quote nothing well don't confuse the word meek with the word meager we do not serve a meager god oh no in in ephesians 3 20 it says now unto him speaking of god that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us okay we're christians We're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in Christ. We've got power in us. That's not nothing. That's everything. You see the problem with this? You see see the tactic of Satan here in changing the definition of the word meek? Because it's such a compliment. It's something we all want. Yeah. Other synonyms, according to now, this is thesaurus.com. Synonyms. Quote, spineless. Quote, spiritless. Unresisting. Weak, weak need, wishy-washy, zero. No, that is all false. This, these are lies. These are not synonyms to the true word meek. Not at all. No, let's, uh, let's check out our meek and lowly Savior, Jesus Christ. This is John 2. Let's go to verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. (laughs) That's our meek Lord. Strong, powerful, stands for righteousness. Get this stuff out of here. We're doing the same thing to all of Satan's tactics and his lies. We're exposing them. And you get to make, now now we all get to be wiser and understand better. We get to understand what's true meekness. That's Christ. Christ is meek and lowly of heart. That's not a weak-kneed, wishy-washy, spineless person. No, he's strong and powerful. And he gives that same strength and power to each one of us. And yes, we get to be meek as well and lowly of heart and compassionate to those who have been fed lies and need the truth of God's word. So we'll keep giving it to you. We'll keep pouring it out. As long as you're wanting to hear it, we will be here giving you the truth of God's word. That's what we're here to do. So the man that rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians and the man that rescued all mankind 
by enduring the cross and then resurrecting from the dead, they were both meek. And yet, the authorities, quote-unquote, of language today say the word meek supposedly is along the lines of spineless, weak, or wishy-washy. Are you getting wiser? Are we all getting wiser? Yeah, this is a tactic of Satan. If he doesn't, if he can't just change God's word because we're in our word and we know it, so we don't listen to that, he'll try to change the definition of language. So again, let's stick with the King James Version of the Bible. Let's get it, read it, and know it, and believe it. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So certainly we, we want to be meek, but never wishy-washy, never spineless, never um, spiritless. Mm-mm, we're full of spirit. <laughs> Very much so. Don't you love Don't you love the truth of God's word getting out? Don't you love it? It's so exciting. It's so wonderful. Okay, so the first tactic of Satan is slight alterations of God's word. The second tactic is just changing the English language and the definitions thereof. The third tactic that we're going to cover, oops, excuse my hitting of the mic. The third tactic is calling things that are good, bad, and calling things that are evil, good, or acceptable, or okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. This one's this one is getting exposed, and it'll be exposed uh, in in great detail as well for the rest of the show too. So here are some. Well, let's go to Isaiah five twenty first, because again, Satan tries to present himself as smart and cunning. No, he's been doing the same tired tactics since the beginning of time. He convinced Eve, and he's hoping to use the same lies. So as we expose his lying ways, we get to stand in the truth of God's word. And he fails. But again, he tries to act like these things are new and he's so smart and cunning. He's not. He's a pathetic loser who lost for all eternity when Christ resurrected and loses every time we speak out the truth. He is getting his butt beat today so hard. (laughs) And I love it. Thank you, Lord. The Lord made that possible. Through Jesus Christ's ultimate victory, we get to crush Satan every single day. Yep, we sure do. We get to crush his lies. We get to stomp all over them. We get to tell him what a pathetic loser he is. (laughs) Because he is. So we get to speak that truth. Yep, he's getting hammered today. Okay, Isaiah 520. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Confusion, chaos, muddying the waters, that's a tactic of Satan. And God is the opposite. He's very direct, simple, and steady. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your righteousness, and thank you for your stances. Love it. Okay, so here are some very, I'm going to, I'm going to go over two very common lies that are just flung around there that do this, that call good things bad and bad things good. Okay. These are very common lies that are tossed around with ease in common discourse. And they're actually lies of the devil. And they're intended to separate the human soul from the love of God, 
from their creator. So let's watch out. Let's get our ears tuned. Let's be very wise. Now, one of the top lies, and this just hit me recently, one of the top lies that Satan uh, gets out there is, quote, the truth hurts. (laughs) Nope, that's a lie. The truth sets you free. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Maybe someone's opinion hurts. Maybe having to look at the past, yeah, that can be painful. That can give you an ouch to the flesh. Sure. But there is nothing about the truth that hurts. It's the opposite. It sets you free. It's freeing. It's wonderful to know the truth. There's nothing painful about it. It's beautiful and liberating. Yes, we should seek the truth with all our heart. But if that lie is going out there, oh, the truth hurts. (laughs) If that lie is going out there, then people will not seek the truth. You see why that's such a damaging lie? So here in John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Isn't that wonderful? As we follow Christ, as we believe him, then then we will know the truth. Yeah, we will. That's what's happening right now. It's going out across this land, broadcasting internationally. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and, it, and you shall know the truth. That's a promise of God. You won't be left in the dark. He gives us the truth as we keep his commandments, as we seek him, as we believe him. You're going to hear more on that a little bit later on. And the truth shall make you free. Very direct, very simple, very secure. That's wonderful. Thank you, Lord. And then further on in verse 36, this is really important. It says, if the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, why does it say if right there? It's because that son, S, capital S, O-N, is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of God. And there are other Jesuses in the Bible. There's Bar Jesus, who's actually a sorcerer, and there's Jesus Justice, who's a righteous man. But if you're just saying the name of Jesus, you got to be more specific than that. It's the Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If he is making you free, you are free indeed. If there's something else that you think you're free under, you're actually not really free. That's what that, that's what that means. The only way to be truly free is through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if it's through him, then yep, for sure, you are free indeed. Isn't that great? So yes, when we believe on Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he shall, we shall know the truth. We shall be set free by the truth. So no way does the truth hurt. Opinions might. Having to face the past might. But the truth doesn't. No. The truth sets us free. John 14, 6 Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Isn't that? Thank you, Lord. Again, he is the truth. So we need him. The truth doesn't hurt. (laughs) It sets us free. That's a lie. So let's expose it. Let's and, And if we hear someone say that, let's offer them the truth of the word. No, 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 no. The truth doesn't hurt. It says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth 
shall make you free in the word of God. So it doesn't hurt. It sets us free. We want the truth in our life. We want it. Matthew 11. How much more is this truth freeing? It says Matthew 11 verse 28. This is Christ speaking again. And Christ is the truth. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. (laughs) Yeah, believing lies, hearing lies even, is very laborious. And it's heavy. It weighs a soul down to be surrounded by lies. So come unto Christ, and he will give us rest. It says in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and shall ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. <laughs> it's not hard to be a Christian. It's not hard. It's easy, and it's light. It's freeing to know the truth of God. Isn't that neat? I love you, Lord. Thank you so much for this. We're exposing Satan's tactics, and we're just taking a wrecking ball right through all of them. Isn't this fun? It's really fun. Okay, Acts 2, verse 37. This is a good one. How easy is this yoke? Well, Acts 2, verse 37. A bunch of people just found out about Christ. They are coming unto him, and they're saying, what shall we do? How do we get that rest that Christ is talking about? And this is Apostle Peter. I'm sorry, in verse 37, these are uh, the men and brethren. It says, now when they heard this, all this, these multitudes, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we obtain this rest? There have been lies in our life. How, do we, how are we set free in the truth of God's word? It says, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's very easy. The truth is freeing and light and incredible to know. It's it's the very lifeblood that we walk in victory with. We can't walk in victory if we believe that the truth hurts because Christ is the truth. So you see how that puts you on uneven playing field, uneven stance? If, if it, how can his yoke be easy and his burden is light if it hurts? Because <laughs> it doesn't. That's a lie. The truth does not hurt. It sets us free. Okay, another big lie. We're exposing these lies, these these lies. And I'm only, this is just scratching the surface because again, this has been going on for generation, generation after generation after generation. We were scratching the surface, but I'm, I hope we're all getting a lot wiser today and a lot more um, aware and sharp. This is sharpening us all. It's wonderful. This is really neat. So Satan's tactics are to call good things bad and bad things good. Send out these lies, okay? So one of them is that the truth hurts. Well, we just expose that for being exactly what it is, a big fat lie. The second one, this one's really, um, it's everywhere and you have to watch it because people just say it. They just pop it out, but it's a lie. And the, the it's only two words. Nobody's perfect. That's a lie. You, wanna, you want me to prove it to you? So I have three brothers 
And they're all married. All have been married more than a decade. And all three of my brothers, and I've watched these marriages for actually one of them for two decades plus. I've watched these marriages closely. All three of my brothers will announce freely and regularly, my wife is perfect. They do all the time. And isn't that wonderful? Now, who would say, no, she's not. No, she's not. No one would. No one reasonable anyway. No, we love, we rejoice that a husband would say that about his wife, right? That's love. That's what that means, that he loved, my brothers love their wives so much. And my father says, says this about my mother too. You're, my wife's perfect. Well, yeah, that's their perspective. And they love them. So that's perfect. That's wonderful that they say that. I think we would all, we all rejoice to hear that, right? Nobody's trying to, uh, nobody would go up to my brother and be like, nope, nobody's perfect. No, that, that person, if they did, that would be a total jerk, right? Well, God sees us as perfect. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have his spirit inside us. He sees us as perfect. That's his perspective, God's perspective. So why would we care about anyone else's perspective? Why would we believe nobody's perfect when in Deuteronomy 18.13, it says, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Yeah. As we accept Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll hear more about that a little bit later on, we are perfect with God. The word perfect means complete and whole. We're not lacking anything. So again, it's God's perspective. Who is man to try to dispute that? If my brother came up to you and said, my wife's perfect, wouldn't you rejoice in that? Well, can't we rejoice when God says, you beloved, beloved child of mine are perfect. Want more? How about Matthew 5, 48? God says, be, ye, this is Christ speaking, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect. Be complete and whole with God. Again, confirming Deuteronomy 18.13. It's very simple. <laughs> but again, Satan puts that lie out there. Nobody's perfect. To hurt the human soul. To separate us from God's love. Wouldn't that hurt my brother? Any one of them. And there's three of them. They're all incredible men of God. Wouldn't that hurt my brother if he, if he says, my wife's perfect. And someone comes up and says, nope, nobody's perfect. Yeah, that would hurt. And I mean, he's a strong man. He wouldn't put up with that. And we shouldn't put up with anyone telling us our soul is not perfect before God. When we do what Apostle Peter lays out in Acts 2.38, we repent, we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Beloved friends, we are perfect in God's eyes. Who, what other opinion can possibly matter? Not a one. No one's. James 1.4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Yeah, we need to have patience. And again, that word perfect in the word just in the Bible means complete and whole. Yep. Doesn't mean that there's, there is no evaluation of the outward appearance. It's an inward man that is being called perfect. Nothing on the outside, nothing of the flesh, all about the spirit of God inside us. 
And when we have that, we are perfect. Yes, thank you, Lord. It's in the word. I believe God. I hope you do too. Let's do that. Let's believe God for everything in his word. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 16. It says here, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Lord. Sure appreciate. See, we need the word of God. We need to believe it. We need to do it. And then the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Well, I hope this has helped. I hope that this has exposed the top three tactics of Satan. Number one, slight alterations of the word of God. Number two, just outright changing the definition of words. And number three, sending out these popularized lies. Listen, keep your ears open, tune, and be aware of the lies that are going out there and stand for the truth. Now that we're wise to Satan's tactics, his manipulation of language, we can watch for it and we can stand for righteousness and we can stand for God because he'll back us up 100% of the time. And I can say this for myself, certainly, and I can also say this for this incredible, faithful, wonderful woman of God. She's a true minister, a beautiful prophet, and someone that was raised in the word by a true apostle. And I thank God that he has preserved a remnant of faithful people who can't be bought, who won't bow their knee, so that we can hear the truth. Because it's so rare. And what we are about to hear is incredibly rare knowledge and equally as marvelous and wonderful. You're going to hear a very fervent minister offer each one of us whose ears are open the proper roadmap. So let's get ready to be blessed with the love, joy, and peace of God's Holy Spirit. This message is by our friend Trish. Such an amazing God. What an honor it is to serve the God of all creation. Wow. It's it's the most marvelous life when you have him in it, and when you personally know him, there's nothing like it. It's been an interesting week. I've been on my bed trembling for most of it, just before him, just very, very focused and before him. The scripture came to me in Ecclesiastes 8.8, just this one scripture, and it says so much. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. I don't care who anybody thinks they are. God's spirit is given to us by God. And God can give it, and he can remove it. And no man has the power to retain it. That was sobering. That's why I was on my bed, just quaking, realizing that. Because the vast majority on the face of this earth think they're in control. Honest to God, they think they 
are in control. I was looking at the state of the human soul on the face of the earth, the entire face of the earth. It's a very sobering thought. So it brings me to the title that I'm going to give this, Keep My Commandments and Live. So what does the heart, what is the very heartbeat, what is the very core of a soul that has literally laid down their life for the work of the Lord? Do you want to know the heart of an apostle? Do you want to know the heart that beats in my bosom? Over in Philemon, verse 20, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. There is such an incredible joy, there's such an incredible burning desire in my every fiber of my being that every soul, when they hear that word, the anointed word of God, that they will hear and recognize the Lord in it, regardless of who it's coming through. I mean, it's so fervent. That's the earnest desire of my heart. And I know it's the earnest desire and passionate. We're very passionate, that heart as was the Lord. The Lord was so passionate that the human soul would hear what his father had to say through his voice. Hear me, believe me. That was the Lord. Just to have the human soul believe what he has to tell them. There's where the joy is. And having confidence, knowing that, they'll, that a soul will be obedient to it that they'll hear it and receive it and do it and receive even more. Do you know how we receive more? I desire that every soul will access God, have that personal access, personal in interaction, that they will know his voice, know his ways, know his spirit, know his moving, so that they will know and recognize him when he's talking to them, no matter who he's in. Proverbs 4, 4. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. That's my deepest desire, is that when you hear what God has to say, retain it, hang on to it, have it become a part of your, 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 every fiber of your being. Retain it. And then the Lord took me over to Proverbs 3, verse 11. And these were just the places he was taking me for each soul. Because I know my heart cries these things. It literally cries these things. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. If he delights in you and if he loves you, he's going to make sure you're safe. He's going to make sure you join him. That's the very heart 
of those that have given their lives to convey what the Lord has to say to the human soul. That's the very heartbeat right there. That's the only thing that really can bring, I know my soul, joy. That's the greatest joy. And I know an apostle will sit and confer with me and the greatest joy, she says, this is it. This is all, this is the only thing that's worth living for is when a soul will hear the Lord and receive it and retain it and take it on. That's why I get very dynamic and passionate and I'm literally, I'll give it every ounce and every fiber of every bit of my makeup I can. And each one will do it according to their personality. Mine just happens to be very demonstrative and very out there. So I'm going to use every fiber of my being to reach out and grab every heart that I can that will receive it. Not just receive it, but retain it. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her, that keeps it. Wisdom. When the Lord works your soul in those very dynamic ways, it writes down deep. It really writes deep when you go those places. Who cares what the flesh feels or thinks about it? Go right past that. Go into those deep recesses and hang on to it and retain it with every ounce of every fiber that you have. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. So it's pretty profitable to a soul if they get wisdom and understanding. Those are the very things that the Lord founded the earth on and established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. Isn't that something? The safety that there is, that's a lot of love. The world does not know how to recognize love. Their love is very selfish. This love that God has is very selfless, to the point where he die for you, and he'll do anything for you, to see to it that you make it. He will. He'll reach out and he'll just go to the ends of the earth for you. Move mountains for you. It's the most incredible thing. 
over in Matthew 19. And the Lord didn't come here to get a claim for him. I'll tell you that right now. There's only one that I'll point you to. There's only one thing I want you to obtain. And I want you to obtain that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Lord God. One-on-one. -on -one. That's where I'll point you. And Jesus here in Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And you know, he was flattering the Lord. What did the Lord do with that? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, Keep the commandments. You see how he, the Lord did the same thing? He deflected it off of him and he sent him directly to God. That's how you'll know the heart of a true minister. They're not in there for fanfare or to be put on a pedestal or, oh, they're all so great. The only thing I desire, my God, my God, is that you have that personal relationship with him. That's where I'll direct you. I thank him. I love him for everything he's given me in my life, for the places I've gone, and for who and what I am. But I'm not here for a pat on the back. I'm here to get you there, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. That's what gives me joy. That's what makes me happy. That's what lifts my heart. That's what makes me want to get up another day. That's what it is. And I listen for that. Who's hearing his voice? Who's contacting him? It is good and it is safe when you do recognize and honor an elder. I'm not diminishing that. It is good and it is right and it is scripture. But I know every single soul that has that appointment of God, their sole purpose is to get you connected with him. Not for an attaboy or a pat on the back or why, like Jesus says, why are you calling me good? There's only one good and that's God. Are you understanding that heart? Isn't that something? There, you know, a true minister of God isn't going to be going around, I'm the great one. I'm the great one. They won't. They'll say there's only one, one great one. That's God. Here, come with me. I'll teach you how to get to know him. I'll take you right to him. Hear his voice, retain his words, recognize him. And they will defer. They will know who is anointed. They know when the Lord's speaking. Those that are really exercised in the spirit, they'll know when someone has the anointing and they'll give place. It's beautiful. No big shots. They, they give place. What a wonderful thing. Couldn't be more pleasant. It's just beautiful. And it works so lovely. Oh, I love you, Lord. Well, he says, But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And the young man, speaking of the young man, he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. The Lord brought back to mind what it was that I cried out against. Because I, when I lived my life, I wanted to be a good person. 
I wanted to live a good life and I wanted to be a good person. I really, really did. There were a lot of questions I had because there were things that I saw and knew and I couldn't find anybody that could give me the answers to spirits and all that. But in my heart, I wanted to be a good person. And back then, way back then, it was so commonly accepted that you didn't have to be married to somebody to be living with them or sleeping with them, having sexual relationships with them. That was no big deal anymore. Well, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Even my parents didn't think it was important. So who do you look up to when you're out there in the world? You look up to your peers, you look up to social media, what are they telling you? What are all the so-called experts telling you? And they were all telling me that I was a good person and I was living a good life and I was living with a man out of wedlock, for real. And I thought I was just fine. I had a good job, I had notoriety. I mean, wow, I thought I had it going. Lots of money, really, had it made, so-called, but I was miserable. I was miserable. And then I met a, an apostle and he read, all he did was read the word of God, exactly the way it was written. And my soul went, what? And I got on the phone and I tracked down a soul that was in the ministry and I flat out asked them. And right before that happened, Brother Bob had called them and said, whatever you do, if she presses you, don't answer her, her the questions because she will take you literally. He knew my soul would just literally believe whatever they told me. But I'm telling you, he says, God, I want God to show her. And I said, uh-uh, I want to know. So I phoned and they were going, well, he said not to say anything because he didn't want to cause a stumbling block in front of me. And he didn't want to blow me off <laughs> like that would happen. I was pretty determined. So I pressed them sore. I want to know, is it right in the sight of God, in his eyes, to be living with somebody out of wedlock? And finally, I pressed them so sore, they had to tell me. I wanted to know. And once I knew, I got off that phone and I cried out. I screamed. I was laying on my bed and I screamed indignantly. They lied to me. Every single person I knew, the media, my peers, my parents, my family, everybody lied to my soul. And I was doing something that I thought was okay that they put their approval on and it displeased God. And I just cried out. And then I wept and I said, Lord, I just want to do it right. You show me how to do it right. I took the clothes on my back and I had two small children, jumped in my car and drove away with nowhere to go because I was not going to be displeasing to God. I wasn't. I went and I got baptized and then I stood there. And what do I do now, Lord? And that you know the story. He showed me that vision of that place. And a person that I never met before in my life came up. Do you want to come home with me? And I said, okay. But I wish I could go to that place that I saw in my vision. And as we drove up to the place that she lived at, it was the place in my vision. So how big is God? 
How amazing is God? But see, that was the beginning of my life. I just wanted to do it right. Well, I'll guarantee you that there are souls out there that just want to do it right. They want to know that they are living their life right. That they truly are a good person. Not just being told they're a good person. Adultery. To commit adultery. A male paramour. Apostate. Adulterer. See, adultery is physical and spiritual. A lover, especially the illicit partner of a married person. And now remember... You're married to Christ. It doesn't matter whether you have the ring on or a, a natural spouse. You, have, you are a spouse to Christ in the spirit. You single people, you are married to him. So if you're running out there, having partners out there, hooking up, and the world even tells you that you can't abstain. Oh, it's just impossible. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. God designed everything the way he designed it. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Get filled with his word. Get that power and authority over the flesh. He always makes a way of escape for everything. Even after an escape from the lies and from that lust spirit. But they are consumed by it. By lies. They're consumed with lies and being destroyed by the droves. Lover, significant other. That's what an adulterer is. A significant other. In a morata, a person's female lover, girlfriend, mistress, the other woman, kept woman, courtesan, boyfriend, the other man, in a morato means a person's male lover, boy toy, sugar daddy, main squeeze, concubine, a concubine is a woman who lives with a man but has lower status than his wife. And they say, anything goes, no big deal. Let's just go out and hook up with somebody tonight and try them all on to see what you like. I mean, there are so many lies out there. It is destroying the human soul. Absolutely destroying those lies. They don't know the difference. So who's going to tell them? Then then the Lord says, honor thy father and mother thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? He kept pressing the Lord. And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Isn't that something? What are you going to give in exchange for your soul? What is going to be more important than your own soul? And those possessions and that heart tug and those riches can be anything. So what I'm going to do with that, that is just those things, those, those journeys that my soul went on this week, those were the things that I was pondering on. But I did know that Corey was going to do an amazing breakdown. And it's a beautiful teaching message on the difference between good and evil. 
because I know my soul when it was out there in the in the general population they did not tell me the difference they lied to me they lied to me so we're going to clear up we're going to clear the air and we're going to make it very plain for those souls out there to hear a sound mind and find out what's true and come out from under the deception for any who will This is Get Your Love on Radio. Thank you so much for being here on this Sunday morning. Don't forget, you can always go to getyourloveon.org for Bible studies. We have some beautiful videos in our YouTube library and further teaching. That was our wonderful friend, Trish. And as you heard, very impassioned about the truth of God's word, getting out and people getting free. And now, as she mentioned, our wonderful friend, Corey, you've heard him before. He actually has the series, um, the Sermon on the Mount. If you've seen our YouTube channel, Corey does an incredible job breaking down the Sermon on the Mount and with, with the wisdom that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And he does the same here as well with this message called The Difference Between Good and Evil. The subject of good and evil, it's quite a large one. And uh, in putting this message together, there was just a lot of time waiting on the Lord, really uh, getting to know a bit better how he views things and what he really requires of a soul for them to stand before him and be able to be in his presence. So the title of the message today is called The Difference Between Good and Evil. And we're going to break things down so there's a greater understanding for every soul, for those that are without, that they have a better understanding of what it is that they have to overcome, and to those that are within, so they have a better understanding of how to minister to those that are without and rescue them from that destruction out there. Today, and this has been going on for a long time, Satan is waging an all-out campaign to destroy as many souls as he can and to destroy him as fast as he can. And especially in these last days, he's all out. There's millions of souls that have been deluded into believing that what is good is evil, and that what is evil is good. Millions of souls are being condemned to eternal destruction because they cannot tell the difference between good and evil. The Ten Commandments are God's blueprint for every nation to follow. If they are to know the difference between good and evil, and have a just and blessed society. Let's go to Deuteronomy 5. We'll start in verse 7. The first commandment. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. God spoke this. Every soul is commanded to worship God and God alone. And when I'm talking about God, I'm referring to the God of the Christian Bible, coming to him through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm not talking about Allah or Ahura Mazda, or any of the other false things they have out there. This is the God of the Christian Bible. He's first and foremost creator of the universe, and he's the only God, true God, there is. The second commandment, verse 8, Thou shalt not make thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. The Lord's saying here, Anything that is shaped by the hand of man or anything in nature is not to be worshipped as a substitute for God and is not to be given precedence over God, not in your mind or in your heart or in 
any, any form. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So yeah, there's, there's an iniquity that follows a lineage that turns away from God and will not worship him. And that ripple effect carries down through generations. But the mercy is to those that love God and keep his commandments. Verse 11, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. In other words, honoring God with your lips while your heart is far from him doesn't count. Because, again, in verse 9, the Lord is a jealous God and he will hold account to any, and he sees the heart and he will hold account. If there's a feigned act, God sees it, even if it's not apparent to the souls around them. When you're honoring God with your lips and your heart is far from him, this is an especially heinous crime when others are driven away from God because they see that soul's hypocrisy. This is one thing that's driven many people away from attending church is because they see the hypocrisy of the religious devils in those churches that have gone away from the old landmarks and have not followed God in truth. The, the Lord will not hold those ones guiltless because of the souls they've driven away from him. Verse 12, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Now keeping the Sabbath, many churchgoers have stumbled over how this commandment is to be observed today. There's been a lot of controversy over uh, which day of the week they say is supposed to be kept. Some say Saturday, some, day, some say Sunday. There's been a lot of controversy over, um, well, is it a physical day or is it a allegorical one? Well, Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath and every true Christian has his spirit within them. The day of rest, that Sabbath, is observed every day spiritually by those that have been born a new creature in Jesus Christ by partaking in his death, partaking in his resurrection, and partaking in his spirit. That's how the Sabbath is kept. And they partake in these things by believing on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You have to believe, first of all. They have repented of sin and their old ways, and they have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth under holy hands for the remission of sins. And they have been filled with the Holy Ghost and are actively maintaining a true spiritual walk with God. It's not enough to repent, be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and say, okay, now I'm good to go. You actually have to maintain that within you and keep that active and alive within you. That's the purpose of the walking in the fivefold ministry is to keep it going. So when the Sabbath is being enacted and carried out spiritually every day, in those souls that are the Lord's, that Sabbath is a rest. It's a rest from sin, sickness, and disease. It's a rest from the fear of death. And it's a rest from the oppression of the devil. It's also a rest from the burden of the Old Testament law, where they did observe a physical seven-day Sabbath. And you have that rest from the Old Testament because you have the Spirit of Christ within you, which guides you, to keep the law perfectly so you don't commit sin and you'll automatically obey those commandments because you have the Spirit of God within you. Uh, jumping down to verse 16, 
It says, Honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This is the first commandment with promise, or a pledge. There's a promise contained in this commandment, that your days are prolonged and that it goes well with you. And this commandment applies naturally as well as spiritually. You honor your physical father and your mother because they've raised you and they've brought you up and nurtured you. But spiritually, you also honor God as your father. And you honor the Christian church as your mother that has nurtured you and brought you up spiritually. Verse 17, thou shalt not kill. This means to kill, to kill means to deliberately destroy a human life. It can be done physically, but it can also be done spiritually, financially, or emotionally as well. God views that the same. There's many ways a soul can be destroyed. And it is a heinous crime no matter which way it's done. Now I will say about killing, you do have the right before God to defend yourself and your family from attack, even if lethal force is required. And God sees that. And he does permit it. There are some that will say, oh, you can't, can't do that. God does give you that right. What he says when he says, thou shalt not kill, is that deliberate destruction of a soul that hasn't occasioned it. Verse 18, neither shalt thou commit adultery. Yeah, this, breaking this commandment is probably taking more souls to hell today than any other. It is absolutely rampant out there. Marriage was established by God as the union of one man and one woman, two becoming one and forsaking all others. Adultery is the act of dishonoring the marriage bond by having sexual relations outside the bonds of holy matrimony. So it applies to married people. They're breaking that bond by sleeping with someone else that they're not married to. And it applies to single people because they're dishonoring the bond of holy matrimony by not doing it within the bonds of holy matrimony. So it applies both ways, whether you're single or married. The Lord also showed that there's a spiritual aspect to it. The Lord said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman or a man to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's Matthew 5, 28. So spiritual adultery is joining oneself to another spirit that is not the Holy Ghost. So you're looking on someone to lust after him, you're joining your mind to that spirit of lust. And that's not the Holy Ghost. And God views that as adultery. Verse 19, neither shalt thou steal. To steal is to have unlawful gain. It includes gain gotten by stealth, gotten by fraud or lies, or by extortion. In other words, being taken by force. Anything that's not yours and you're taking it in some unlawful way, it's stealing. And again, that can be done spiritually or naturally too. There's a number of ways that can happen. Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now this is more than just lying, but specifically giving false testimony that would condemn a soul to punishment for a crime they did not commit. Again, this is very heinous. Similar to verse 11, those that profess to honor God with their lips but disobey his commandments are being a false witness that drives people away from God. And 
because people are driven away from God, there's a punishment that comes upon them because they've re- rejected God in their minds. Even if it's been a religious spirit that's presented themselves to it, that mark is in their minds now. They associate that religious spirit with God. So that false witness is a very heinous crime in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 21, Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. A soul that covets or envies the blessings of their neighbor, there is a lack of love on their part when they're doing that. Covetousness is also idolatry. Those that covet after anything that is not of God is allowing that thing to take precedence over God in their mind and in their heart. Basically, by breaking this 10th commandment, you're breaking the first commandment. Funny how it comes back full circle, isn't it? Jesus Christ of Nazareth taught that all of God's law, including the Ten Commandments, hung on or was summarized by just two commandments. And these are other commandments that are in the law. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, 5. This is the first and great commandment. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. If you love the Lord with all of your being, you will keep all of his commandments. The whole law is summarized in that. And in this other commandment, the second one is like unto it. Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't kill them, you won't steal from them, you won't lie to them, you won't commit adultery with their spouse, or you, you won't envy their blessings. And you will give them the perfect example for them to follow by worshiping the Lord perfectly yourself. If you love your neighbor, you'll set that good example before them, that they may see it and follow it if the Lord gives it to them. Jump back a couple of verses. In verse 15, this is how you show this perfect example. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. In other words, God does not allow double standards. All of his commandments apply to all people. Let's go to James 2. We'll start in verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But... If you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. As far as the body of Christ is concerned, if a soul acknowledges the Holy Ghost when it operates through one saint, but does not acknowledge the Holy Ghost when it operates through another saint, they are having respect to persons, and they're breaking the commandment of the Lord. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point He is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Paul, when he was giving instruction to Timothy, he said it this way. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge thee before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, 
doing nothing by partiality. You walk in the Lord's ways and you keep his commandments and you're guiding others in it. You're applying it equally across the board. You're not favoring one over another. Let's go to Genesis 2. The difference between good and evil is the difference between keeping or breaking the commandments of God. We're going to start in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve was with him. He made them pure, separated from the world. That was that garden. It was separated from everything else. And they were dedicated to the care of his garden. This is how the saints are today. We're separated from the world and we're to care for his garden, those souls that he raises up in him. Now, initially, Adam and Eve did not know evil because they had never been exposed to it, having only been in the presence of the Lord God, and thus knowing only good. And here, God established the first commandment for man to obey, and the first punishment for breaking that commandment. He said, you shall not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or thou shalt surely die. One point I want to make about the tree it wasn't the tree of good and evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing both. Jumping down to verse 25, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Again, they were innocent. Adam and Eve only came to know what evil was, and so the difference between good and evil when they disobeyed God's commandment. In other words, they sinned. Sin is disobeying God's commandments. Let's go to Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. This is how it happened. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So this serpent, deceiving spirit, it targeted the weaker vessel. It got their attention and it started planting doubt, questioning what God had said. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So she knew the commandments. She, she knew and understood what God was requiring. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he added one word and made a lie out of it. And it changed everything. He appealed to her fleshly desires, and he appealed to her natural curiosity. And that's what caught her. One word created one lie, which deceived one soul, which broke one commandment, which brought one punishment upon all. Death penalty was brought upon the entire human race because of one disobedience and one lie. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make, one's, make one wise, in other words, it was very appealing to the flesh, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So they believed a lie, and they broke God's commandment. The difference between good and evil is the difference between believing the truth and believing a lie. God said, 
thou shalt surely die, that was truth. The devil said, thou shalt not surely die. That was a lie. They believed the lie. And the eyes of them were both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. See, before they didn't, they were naked, but just didn't occur to them that they were. There was an innocence there, and there's, there was no knowledge of evil. Now they had knowledge of evil. Said, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They were trying to cover themselves up because they now had knowledge that, of this nakedness. Once they obtained the knowledge of good and evil, they came to know something other than good. And so their minds were corrupted from their initial purity. Yeah, the knowledge of evil entered in and it tainted that pure state that they had. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So there's a problem. They're hiding themselves from the Lord. There's something wrong. They had something to hide, and they, are, they were ashamed to be in the presence of God. If a soul is hiding from the Lord or hiding from the Holy Ghost, there's something wrong. There's evil in there somewhere because a true soul will come to the light. We'll get into that a bit more too. The disobedience of Adam and Eve brought the punishment of death upon the entire human race through the knowledge of evil being added to the knowledge of good. Let's go to Romans 5. We'll start in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin, in other words, disobedience to God's commandment, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That death penalty has never been revoked. It still applies today, but it has been remitted. There has been a pardon granted. Jump down to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Justification being found innocent. Jesus Christ of Nazareth took the death penalty upon himself so that the law of God would stand. So the law, that law wasn't done away with. It had to remain because the law of God is eternal. But he took the death penalty so the law of God would stand and so that those who would accept his free gift could escape that punishment. See, there was one lie that started everything. So also, one man died one time to make one atonement for that one punishment that came upon all, so that all may have opportunity to obtain life instead of death. How glorious is the working of the Lord. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the only name named by which you must be saved. Let's go to Acts 4.10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he was speaking to the Jews, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You've got to go through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. The difference between good and evil is the difference between life and death. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 15. 
And the Lord is speaking to his people. They're just about to enter into the promised land. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. Good is to love the Lord, obey his commandments, and be blessed by him accordingly. Evil is to disobey the Lord's commandments and perish in that sin. Let's go to 1 John 3, starting in verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. When you have the Lord's Spirit actively within you, you will keep his commandments. To be born of God is to partake in the death, the resurrection, and the spirit of his Son. You, you believe on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and you repent of sin and the old ways, you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth under holy hands for the remission of sins. You receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost and you actively maintain a true spiritual walk with God. It keeps going. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The difference between good and evil is the difference between loving and hating your brother. To hate your brother is to love them less than you love yourself. As the Lord said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 1 John 3:16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So it's for the brethren. It's not for the world. It's not for the heathen out there. But it's for those that are the same, have the same spirit that you have, the Holy Ghost. Your neighbors, when it says, love thy neighbor as thyself, your neighbors are those that are near to you spiritually. They're drawn by your godly example. They're attracted to the Holy Ghost within you. They become your brother when they are identical to you spiritually. The neighbor is near, the brother is identical. And they're showing the same godly example as you and having the Holy Ghost within them as you do. Verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Got to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So that's how you, you know you're of the truth and that you're walking in the right way, is that you, will, you do honestly love your brother and you will show it in your actions. And you will lay down your lives for your brother. Let's go to 1 John 2, verse 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness 
hath blinded his eyes. In other words, a soul in that state is spiritually blind and ignorant of the true nature of God, because God is love. Let's go into this darkness and light a little more. Let's go back to the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. This is a type and a figure for a lifeless, empty soul that is ignorant of the knowledge and love of God. A lot of stuff in the early chapters of Genesis, it's a figure for the things that came after. There's a lot of symbolism there. Continuing in verse 2, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In other words, God's coming into the soul's life. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The light of the gospel has come to a soul. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So right here at the very beginning of creation, God made a separation and a difference between good and evil, showing that they are not the same thing and that they do not mix together. The difference between good and evil is the difference between light and darkness. And I'll tell you something about light and darkness. Darkness flees from the light. The light does not flee from the darkness. If I cut my hands together like this, and I look in there, there's darkness in there because something's blocking the light. That's how you get darkness. There's something in the way that's blocking the light. But I open my hands, the darkness flees. It's been obliterated because there's no longer anything blocking the light. So remember that. The darkness flees from the light. The light does not flee from the darkness. Let's go to John 3, verse 18. He that believeth on him, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Remember, to be born of God, you have to believe on him. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Darkness in the Greek means dimness, obscurity, shadow, or blindness. In other words, things are hidden, you can't see. I mean, there's no light, it's pitch black. You can't make out anything. You can't see the form of anything. You can't see where you're going. And that's why those that have evil deeds hide from the light, because then it can't be made out. But nothing is hid from God. And like Adam and Eve hid from the presence of God after they broke his commandment, those that have evil deeds also hide from the presence of God. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. To reprove in the Greek means to confute or admonish. To confute means to conclusively or without a doubt prove something to be false or defective. It means to overcome it or put it to silence. In other words, there's no room for argument. There's nothing left to say back. To admonish means to warn or counsel against an offense or against wrong practices. Those that are not coming to the light, they don't want this reproval, this, confute, this confutation and this admonishment. This is the difference between good and evil. It's the difference between accepting or rejecting correction from the Lord. This is why today 
you see such a campaign to label evil as good and good as evil. Those that are doing evil are trying to hide the truth. They're trying to keep souls in darkness and spiritually blind because they hate correction and do not want to be revealed for what they are by the, and because they get revealed by the light of the truth. So they try to hide the truth. Verse 21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest. In other words, open and obvious. That they are wrought in God. Like King David said in the Psalms, Search me, Lord. Uh, cleanse me from sec- even secret faults that I don't know about. Just yeah, get that light in there and shine it and make sure everything's clear. Those that really want to be right with God will come to the light. The light removes the darkness so things are clearly seen for what they are. And spiritual eyes are opened. Let's go to Ephesians 5, verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Those things that are recorrection. Remember the Lord said, the Lord loveth whom he corrected. And if you're, you're being corrected, you're being made manifest by the light. You get clear and it's shown that you are clear. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Whatever makes manifest is light and is the truth. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Spiritually speaking, there is no difference between being asleep and being dead. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. And man, are they evil today. Wow. To walk circumspectly means to walk exactly, to walk diligently, to walk perfectly. Yeah, you're keeping God's commandments. It also means to be awake, to be sober, and to be on guard. You're not complacent and you're not naive. You're walking circumspectly and you're redeeming the time. You're not wasting time with foolishness of the world, but you're rescuing your time from being wasted and you're applying it to the work of the ministry. One thing I'll use to explain this, if you're binge watching Netflix, you're not in your prayer time. There's a distraction there and it's being taken up by the foolishness of the world rather than the work of the Lord. not saying you can't watch Netflix. Sometimes it's nice to cuddle in with the wife and kids over a big bowl of popcorn. But where's your focus? Is it on the things of the world and, okay, I can't wait to get in there and watch the next, ep- next episode or whatever? Or is it on the focus of the Lord? Yeah, I'm putting my prayer time in and getting those declarations out before the Lord. Keep your focus and don't waste your time. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. In his campaign to deceive souls into believing that good is evil and evil is good, Satan is counting on religious churches that are spiritually asleep, spiritually unwise, and spiritually unguarded. They are naive concerning Satan's tactics, and they have no understanding of the will of the Lord. Satan is counting on this, that the religious organizations will not be standing up against him because they're asleep at the switch. The difference between good and evil is the difference between being spiritually awake and spiritually asleep. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now the Lord's not speaking to everyone here. He's only speaking to the saints of God because they're the ones that have the light within them. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. There's, they're in that spiritual darkness and that spiritual blindness. I'll say it again. Spiritually speaking, there's no difference between being asleep and being dead. Spiritual slumber has overtaken many of the churches in this country, the United States of America, and they have become blind to the truth. They have become inactive, spiritually dead, and unable to stand against Satan and his campaign. And Satan is counting on that to further what he wants to do. So the churches have got to wake up and stand up. It needs to be a revival in this country. To be drunken or intoxicated means to have a high excitement of the mind. To be carried away with enthusiasm, frenzy, or madness. To be unduly or excessively exalted or lifted up. In other words, there's actually pride involved in a spiritual drunkenness. And spiritual drunkenness is overrunning this country. From the elementary schools all the way up to the halls of Congress, every excuse imaginable is being used to sow discord and cause division. That's the spiritual drunkenness that's going on. They're just getting all worked up. There's that frenzy, that madness against anything that's right. And there's a lot of pride involved there too. And this is why. Satan knows that if everyone is fighting each other, they won't be fighting him. If everyone is watching the commotion in the foreground, they're not watching what is happening in the background. You see all this noise and kerfuffle in the media? There's a reason there is all that noise and kerfuffle because there's stuff going on in the background that Satan doesn't want you to know is going on. So he's distracting anybody he can. Spiritual drunkenness. Let's go to Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. There's a lot of people saying, oh, I'm, I've been victimized by whatever. There's a lot of contention. You see a lot of fighting in the streets, different factions physically assaulting one another. A lot of babbling. There's a lot of, a lot of talkers out there. A lot of wounds without cause. There's a lot of false accusations too that, oh, so-and-so did such-and-such to me without any proof. Wounds without cause. This is the difference between good and evil. It's the difference between being sober and being drunk. Don't drink their wine. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Because being intoxicated by drinking their wine means a soul is moved away from having a sound mind. They're no longer sober spiritually. Verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it, when it moveth itself aright. Because at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. These different movements that are out there, these are movements that are sowing discord. Isaiah 5, verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. Yeah, and these different movements, there's a lot of people involved with them. 
They're working 24-7, all kinds of labor and effort going in to furthering these causes. And they are absolutely inflamed. Well, I'll tell you one thing, they're not set on fire from God. They're set on fire of hell. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and the pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Now, like I just said, there's a lot of labor and a lot of commotion involved, but it doesn't do anyone any good. It's vanity. They have no consideration for what the Lord requires of the human soul, and they have no consideration for how the Lord views things. Their focus is completely on the things of the flesh. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude is dried up with thirst. Yeah, they're captive of the devil, these ones that are involved with this stuff, because they have no knowledge of the Lord and they have no knowledge of the ways of the Spirit. And they have not been fed or watered spiritually and are spiritually weak. And this is where they end up. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Shall positively descend into it. So you see all these different ones that are supporting all this different stuff. All of their awards that they give one another. All their accolades. Their huge crowds. Their elaborate speeches. All their fanfare and their celebrations. These are all vanities of the flesh that perish. This is the difference between good and evil. It's the difference between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. Romans 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In other words, you're not just surviving, but you're also thriving and being blessed. And you won't have all that turmoil that they're entertaining out there. The carnal, fleshly mind is filled with the natural things in the world that will perish. But the spiritual mind, the mind of the Lord, is filled with the things of God that are eternal. And that's the mind you want to have. Because this carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. 1 John 2, 15 says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Yeah, because they're putting something ahead of the love of God. And the, the commandment of the Lord is, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. Now, loving the things of the world, this includes preferring natural worldly reasonings over the leading and counsel of the Holy Ghost when you're viewing situations and when you're dealing with problems. That's a good one to remember. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In other words, you keep his commandments and you follow the leading of the Spirit. That's how you abide forever. 3 John 1.11 Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. 
Now, when it says, hath not seen God, to see in this verse means to stare at, to discern clearly, to attend to, or to experience. One cannot truly do good if they do not truly know and recognize God. That's why you have to maintain your spiritual walk. So you get a deeper and a deeper knowledge and understanding of him. When you get to know a person, you don't just say hi and that's it. No, there's a relationship there that develops over time. And the longer you know a person, the closer you are to them, the the better you know them and the better you understand their mind. It's the same way with God. You've got to maintain that walk with him and keep getting deeper and deeper and not settle for surfacing it off. So one cannot truly do good if they do not truly know and recognize God. And one cannot know and recognize God if they're walking after the flesh and not after the spirit. Those that walk after the flesh are also unable to clearly discern between the true spirit of God and some other spirit trying to substitute for it. Let's go to Hebrews 5, verse 12. He's taking the Hebrews to task here. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. God's not talking to the faithful saints here that have been walking with him. He's talking to those that are still walking after the flesh. They haven't even got the basics down yet. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Yeah, no experience. Can't even change their own diaper. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's why those aged apostles and those aged prophets are of such value to God because they've been well exercised over many years and they know his mind very, very well. Discernment of good and evil comes by being spiritually trained in the word and doctrine of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You've got to get it by the spirit. You're not going to learn it by the letter. And by becoming exercised and experienced in that training through actively applying it to your life. It's hear and do, not hear and forget. You must retain it in you and keep actively using and applying those things that you've been taught. Don't just let the the fire burn out. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Yeah, there's a lot of liars out there, and some of them can be pretty appealing to the flesh. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So there's some that teach that doctrine that the Antichrist is going to come, blah, blah, blah. That's been there from the beginning, just so you know. Now, when it says to confess or not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, to confess in the Greek means to assent or acknowledge. It literally means to have the same speech or the same thought at the same time. In other words, to confess 
is to be of one mind and one accord with the Holy Ghost in the saints. Those that confess Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, they're of one mind and one accord with the Holy Ghost in you. Those that confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh are opposing the Holy Ghost in you. That's how you know the difference. The difference between good and evil is the difference between being of one mind with the Lord and having some other mind, some other spirit entering in and affecting you. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Like I said earlier, it's the darkness that flees from the light. It's not the light that flees from the darkness. So you need not fear anything except God himself. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So yeah, when you're speaking as the oracles of God, if they hear you, then you know that spirit of God is in front of you. But if you're speaking the oracles as the oracles of God, and it doesn't hear, they don't hear you, then you know there's some other spirit there. But to have this witness, you must take heed to what you speak. Proverbs 18, verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. What comes out of you is what's going to be in you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So the difference between good and evil is the difference between speaking good and speaking evil. Speaking as God or speaking as the world. The Lord said this in Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? Now, he was talking to the religious Pharisees that were in his face. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is in you is what will come out of you. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Words are spirits that are loosed into the air. And the spirit that is in a person is the spirit that will be loosed into the air when they speak. That's why when I say, take heed to what you speak, make sure what you're loosing is the spirit of God. Because then you will also have that witness that those souls in front of you will either hear you or won't hear you. And if you got the spirit of God coming out of you, then it will be a true witness. It won't be a false one. And you, no one's going to get deceived there. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What spirit are you going to lose? Because that's what will justify you, and that's what will condemn you. Let's go to 1 Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Your, your words are the Lord's words, and your actions, 
what the Lord appoints you to do. Why? That, in God, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good and evil are, always have been, and always will be separate and opposite. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. So if you got something else in your mind, the things of the world in your mind, then how can you be the temple of the living God? You've got something else in there. You've got to keep the Lord in your mind and maintain his mind in you. For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, like Adam and Eve were separated in the Garden of Eden, he required them not to touch that tree of knowledge of good and evil in order to stay separate and stay pure. And God says, And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, you have that promise as long as you keep yourself separate and touch not the unclean thing. It takes a diligent and a vigilant effort to maintain a perfect walk before God. And you have to do it by the Spirit. But it is worth the effort. Matthew 7:13 says, Enter you in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Thank you for listening.
That's right. This is Get Your Love on Radio. My name is Julie Bueller. Thank you so much for being here today. It's true. We have all the graciousness to to draw nigh to Jesus Christ of Nazareth and to know him and to walk in victory through him every single day. I'm going to repeat this scripture out of 2 Corinthians 13.8. We've had a packed show And there's been a lot of really deep meat that has gone out. And I rejoice in that. And I thank God Almighty again for having a remnant of true ministers that I get to feature on this show for you. It's so wonderful. And our whole team here at Get Your Love On works really hard to ensure that every word that goes across these airwaves are based in Scripture. And it's the truth. Why? It's because 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Christ is the truth, and he has accomplished the greatest victory in human history for all eternity. That can't be taken from him. Our only option is to be part of that great victory. And so that's why we will give you the truth of the word every single day, every single show, until we, until there's no breath left in me, um, that's our commitment to you for your soul. So thank you so much for being here today. We sure appreciate you. Be sure to go to getyourloveon.org, and that's where you can access show archives. You can reach out to the show. We love to hear from you, of course. And we also have some really good Bible studies there that'll take you deeper into the word and then a video library too that you can check out from our youtube channel so we always love to hear from you we always love to feed your soul and we always hope you come back for more we'll be back next week next sunday from 9 a.m to 11 a.m pacific time and uh, since we spent the last two hours getting our love on let's make sure we keep our love on see you next week Man or woman, man or woman who is so down, try keep your love on, on. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine.
Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die, no.